The Woman in the Window is a psychological thriller directed by Joe Wright and Tracy Letts did the screenplay. It's based on a few things. So it's supposed to be more so based on the novel by A.J. Finn, um, a 2018 novel. But there is also The Woman in the Window, the 1944 Fritz Lang film, which itself was adapted from a novel as well. And so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of women there's a lot of windows and I, yeah. I was actually kind of revisiting the 1944 film myself pretty recent uh, last night after I watched Women in the Window and there's a few connective tissues but not much which I guess is why they're they're really not billing this in any way as a remake it's not uh, very different uh, setup for the film to be totally certain but yeah it just hit Netflix and it's interesting because this movie gosh this. So Fox uh, originally had this movie. They were going to, uh, I think, adapt this novel like before it had even come out. Because this was back in like 2016. So there's a a whole story behind this movie uh, where they they shot it in 2018. So three years ago. And they had to do a bunch of reshoots. They did some rewrites. It got delayed to come out in 2019. And then you know what happens next. The Fox deal. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but it, it really was supposed to be theatrically released by 20th Century Fox in 2019 at that point because it was delayed after like Disney took over Fox, obviously, and they set a new release date for just like a year, literally a year ago yesterday, uh, May 15th, 2020. But then they took it off the calendar because of the whole pandemic. Uh, you know, we always got to find a way to mention that every episode. But yeah, there you go. Sure. Whoa, I mean, it's unavoidable. Now we're getting this thing a year later because Netflix acquired the distribution rights um, just this past fall from now it's called 20th Century Studios, which is why when you watch this movie on Netflix, it starts with the 20th Century Studios logo, which is pretty wild to me that, it you know, I, I still can't get used to it. I don't know about you, but it, literally it's like 20th yeah. Century Studios and you're like, man, they took out the Fox. But then the movie starts and it's like, Fox 2000 presents. Yes. So I thought that was kind of uh <laughs> Well, I mean, you're only mentioning like half the issues that the movie has gone through. <laughs> um Yeah, I know. I'm kind of glossing over a bunch of stuff. Uh, I mean, it's worth mentioning that uh AJ Finn, the author of the book, uh there's a pretty scandalous New Yorker article about him that came out either in 2018 or 2019 that right, uh yeah. you know just pretty bluntly said that he's a serial fabulous among other things um and that you know like he it basically just spelled out that he uses book as a way to like kind of like push himself into like the like prestige drama category or like whatever these like like gone girl and like girl on the train like these like pulpy yeah. thriller novels that, that got like these prestige dramas and like there's obviously something kind of cynical about like his approach to it to say the to least be, to be clear so what you're saying is, I don't know if people are like totally caught up. He made a bunch of stuff up about his life, is the the short yeah. of it. Um, or he's being he was accused of making things up, like saying that his mother mm-hmm. um, suffered from cancer, cancer. and yeah. it, like lost her to a brain tumor. Yeah, and his brother he claimed his brother committed suicide, all kinds of stuff. And he apparently like didn't he like take it all from a film literally called Copycat? I think so. Yeah, it's it's a wild article. I mean. Very well written article, but it just like man, I don't know. Like, if this is even half true, like this guy is well. Um, but anyway, 
He and he, I think he he blamed it he blamed it on his bipolar disorder. Yeah, which yeah. I mean I'm not I'm not really you know I'm just explaining the facts like I don't really want to dive into it too much. Truth be told, but just um, saying that's his defense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure, fair enough. Um, but also uh, this is I think possibly the last film they'll be credited to producer Scott Rudin, which is also kind of weird to see uh, here because he has been. Uh, I mean, it's been oh, well I known that he's been uh, 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 pretty well known as a uh, serial abuser as well in his workplace. Um, and now he's t- kind of getting repercussions to it. And his name has been pulled from a lot of upcoming films. But for a reason, it is on this film. So I think that's a contractual thing. Because, I mean, this, this is the whole thing with the Scott Rudin stuff coming out was just this past April, like like a month right. ago. <laughs> so I don't I, I think that the, yeah. ba- the way that movies work, like you just can't make a change like that without violating some sort of contract that quickly yeah yeah and um yeah like you said it's the last fox 2000 film possibly the last fox film i don't even know at this point what what's going on with fox and uh also i think tracy letts and uh trent reznor and atticus ross who were previously going to do the score for this film have both basically disowned it uh publicly being like this is not our vision uh, Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor just like we pulled our score from this thing. So, but then Danny Elfman was like, then Danny Elfman yeah. was like, I can do I'll, it. I'll do it. I got it. <laughs> this this give movie... me two hours and uh, two cups of coffee and I'll put something. Together. Yeah, exactly. This movie <laughs> this movie wants to, you to forget about Fox so much that it almost renamed its character who is Doctor Anna Fox. Yeah, that was a bad joke. Anna Twentieth Century Studios. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, my my point is just that this movie has gone through the ringer uh not only because of the pandemic and uh i almost sort of feel bad for it at this point i guess i mean there's people in it who like there's great actors i mean this is one of those movies where you're watching it and you're like who's next like who are we going to see next we have amy adams of course starring but we also have gary oldman we have anthony mackie we have wyatt russell brian tyree henry and then julianne moore and then at one point uh jennifer jason lee just shows up and i'm like of course like why not um, and of course, Tracy Letts gets a fun little role since he is a producer and, a sc- or sorry, he wrote the screenplay. I was thinking of how Tyler Perry was in Those Who Wish Me Dead and was a producer. Yeah, he was pretty good in that. I forgot to mention that. I thought, you know, I, I actually like him in like supporting actor mode. Yeah, he's he's an imposing guy. He should be in roles like that more yeah. often. He's good at Yeah, um, I mean, you know, but anyway, yeah. he's not in this film. <laughs> yeah, we, we're <laughs> squeezing a little extra part of that review. Yeah, Woman in the Window. Uh, so the story here. And uh, like like we said, borrowed quite a bit from copycat and a lot of other things. I mean, that's the first thing you'll notice about this movie is like, I feel like I've seen this before, <laughs> you know, between its devotion to Rear Window, a lot of Hitchcock. Right. Uh, Spellbound. Disturbia, you know, it just goes on and on. But the setup is that we follow a child psychologist named Anna, Anna Century, um, no, Anna Fox, played by Amy Adams, who lives all by herself in an apartment in Manhattan, uh, we quickly learn that she's separated from her husband, played by Anthony Mackie, and her daughter, Olivia. Uh, but she still talks to them basically every single day. She has something called agoraphobia, which means that she is unable to leave her house. She feels like she has to stay in there. And for that reason, she kind of spies on all of her neighbors from her window, hence woman in the window. And while she is observing a new family moving into the house across the street, she starts to maybe build a very strange kind of tense sort of dynamic with this family as one by one, they each come to her apartment, to her apartment for a visit. 
And from there, things get a little, little strange, a little weird. So Gary Oldman plays the father figure of the family across the street. Uh, we also have Julianne Moore, who uh, plays this woman named Jane Russell. And we also have a kid named Ethan, 15-year-old kid played by Fred Heckinger, who's the first one to come visit her, a teenager. And yeah, as the movie goes on, you can tell something is a little bit off. Uh, Amy Adams' character is on a lot of meds. She is having a little bit of difficulty with her tenant, David, played by Wyatt Russell, who lives in the basement. And at some point, she even tries to get the police to help her out. And the, one of the detectives, played by Brian Tyree Henry, is just trying to kind of keep her subdued, trying to like help her maybe, maybe not keep doing all this spying, taking photos of her neighbors, that sort of thing. This is a movie with a lot of effort. Like they tried with this, I think. Like they really wanted to make a movie that was tense and dynamic and and had a lot of characters that could be like a prestigious sort of noir film. I mean, naming something Woman in the Window certainly lends a lot to that considering that the Fritz Lang film helped kind of create the noir genre. But I got to say it for me, really difficult to get past how tropey and familiar and obvious this script is. I think a lot of people who've watched more than a few noir films are going to see a ton of stuff coming here. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's just too predictable. I, I haven't called the twist in an Amy Adams movie this quickly since arrival, but uh, that's, that's, that's a little braggy. Sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, Will, what did, what did you think of the woman in the window? Yeah. I mean, this is almost comically derivative of other films. <laughs> Uh, to the point where it, it, yeah, it, I, I mean, I haven't read the book that it's based on, but if it is close to this, which I don't even know if it is because as you were mentioning, it's gone through so many reshoots that I don't even know if this is a faithful adaptation of the book. Um, it could just be, you know, ha so hackneyed and Frankenstein at this point that it doesn't really resemble what was in the text, but the material itself just feels so boilerplate, like even by like throwaway paperback airplane novel standards this feels like terribly predictable and derivative but um there is like you said like this kind of prestige sheen to it where it has like all these big stars like you know like there's a lot of visual flair to this in a way that i actually did kind of admire i really actually did enjoy the cinematography from bruno denimbal uh i'm probably mispronouncing that as i mispronounce most names but yeah, i think um, it's bruno de bono but i i'm not 100 yeah. sure myself yeah, but I mean, there's, you know, there's like a lot of fun, like blocking and staging here, like to the point where it kind of felt like, look, this movie is is not going to pick up. Let's just get really weird with the visuals. <laughs> and like, you know, like there's just like a big apple that floats on the screen and then like, you know, like, you know, just like kind of weird blocking a lot of like the Palma S blocking. Like that's actually I felt I was thinking back on more of the Palma stuff than I was Hitchcock, even when the movie was sort of hand-fisting Hitchcock stuff into the, the film. Um, I just kept, especially because the movie has like this kind of like trashy thriller quality to it that because the movie itself is so inconsistent in style, it, it almost seems to indulge in a weird way that, um, I don't know, I didn't hate this film the way that some folks are. Like some folks are really bringing their knives out for this film. And I, I guess I just found it to be so, uh, like I said, trashy and throwaway with these big name stars that, um, you know, I, I found it to be almost amusingly inert, but uh, not in a terribly offensive way, with the exception maybe of there's one character in the film who is portrayed potentially as autistic that 
could be seen as offensive. Yeah, it's funny you say amusingly inert, too, because that's kind of how I felt about his last movie, Joe Wright, um, Darkest Hour. Because I thought, so he comes out with Pan in 2015, trying to kick off a franchise. Pan famously, at least infamously for me, it was just one of my least favorite movies of that. I just hated that movie. And I hated just how shamelessly pandering it was to trying to generate or regenerate an IP in one of the most uninteresting ways. I think I'm actually kind of in the same vein with that film as I am with this film, where like, I, I agree with you, it's a bad film and it makes a lot of baffling decisions, but I was almost half amused by all the baffling decisions that I made, and that's kind of where I'm at with this film as well. <laughs> it's just weird, because, you know, like, I'm not the biggest fan of The Soloist, which he did in 2009, but, I mean, after films like Hannah and Anna Karina, and he, of course, did Pride and Prejudice, Atonement, I mean, we know this guy can make movies that at least satisfy critics and can get a lot of awards attention, right? And yeah. it's just, it's kind of baffling to me where his career has sort of gone at this point. I mean, we, we should say Darkest Hour did get a lot of awards buzz for Gary Oldman, obviously, and it got nominated and uh, did, didn't Gary Oldman actually, it got nominated for Best Picture, but didn't Gary Oldman also win the Oscar? Yeah, he won for Best Actor. Yeah. More of a legacy Oscar, right. to be fair, but he did win. <laughs> he was yeah. up against, yeah, he was up against Daniel Day-Lewis, and they were just like, he's got enough Oscars, and, you know, that kind of, that was kind of the situation. But yeah, that's kind of how I'm feeling about this movie, Woman in the Window, where I, I wish I saw them kind of going more full tilt into some genre unpredictability. I mean, it does it a little bit. There's like a car in a living room at one point where I was like, man, where's this movie? Like, this is the kind of movie I want to see where they just kind of... I think, though, where the movie loses me is how it frames all of this stuff around mental health. This movie is about as precise and considerate with mental health issues as I guess you can reasonably expect from a Hollywood filmmaker. I just really just don't get the sense that Joe Wright and and, and I hate to say it, but Tracy Letts, you know, I just I feel like they're just trying to really heighten the mental health experience in a way that is just like, come on, like I, I, I just didn't buy it. All right, I'll I'll let Tracy Letts off the hook cuz like I said, for one I think that's the material and two I think that might be the reshoots. Sure. Like, I don't know like what the original version of this movie was. And ba- and like I said, Tracy Letts has basically said this is not my movie. Like don't like whatever I did with this okay, is not enough. what the the studio wanted. So, um I'll I'll let him off the hook just because like it seems like he made a more like subdued, thoughtful movie that audience like test audience are just like why is nothing happening like why are we wh- i don't understand yeah, yeah i don't know i don't actually know what happened with the test screenings but from what i was told audiences were confused about things so they added a bunch of stuff they retested the film it didn't get a better response so scott rude and his team were just like screw it just just throw it out <laughs> yeah we we this one got burnt in the the oven so um yeah i don't i don't know i like I said, I don't really know what the original version of this movie was. I'd be curious to see it, you know, release the right cut. Why not? Um, just because I'm kind of <laughs> curious let's cut. to know what the original version is. But, like, this movie feels like it's on, like, 1.5 speed the whole time. Like, it's, it's it feels like it's constantly, like, breathless, like, trying to get everything out. And I have to assume that is because of the reshoots. Like, they're just trying to jam so much information into this movie that it's almost kind of dizzying how much they're trying to do for a, like, almost two-hour runtime. And I think that also kind of adds to the weirdness of it and, like, all the baffling decisions that I made that, like, it's just constantly throwing things at you that, like, it's kind of hard to be bored by it because it's just constantly trying to, like, divert your attention or do visual tricks or, like, do all these different things in a hyper-derivative narrative. But 
yeah, that doesn't make a good film in the least. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things where I could see people watching this and, you know, maybe they won't catch some of the big twists that, you know, like if you've never seen like Rear Wind, if you haven't seen a lot of these movies um, and you're just quite, sort of like breezing Netflix and you like Amy Adams, sure, I, I could see people watching this and like that's not to talk down to anybody whatsoever. It's just like. It's just is one of those films that punishes people who watch too many movies because it's just hard to get through it. Cause you're like, when are you going to get to the part? We know, we know this is about gaslighting. We know. And that is another thing. The gaslighting of this movie just feels a little bit like, I don't know. I, I, it just, it rang very hollow to me, what they're trying to say here about, uh, we've seen a lot of movies kind of go down this road of like, how mental health is in a way like you used to like gaslit people. And I'm not saying movies like that shouldn't exist at all. Like not, not saying that whatsoever, just that if you're going to do it, I think you need to do it in a more interesting kind of compelling new way, not just sort of do what we've seen before. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing for me is that like the material based on how it's presented here feels super cynical in terms of just like trying to ride the coattails of other book success and other story success. And the movie almost feels a little cynical in the fact that it's trying to be a prestige drama for presumably award attention. But because it's gone through this whole rigmarole of reshoots and like people entering and leaving the project and stuff like that, that almost kind of regains its sort of like trashy B quality, <laughs> which is where I find the divide kind of fascinating for me is that like, by being worse, it almost becomes better, <laughs> if that makes sense. Almost. Yeah, and, and kind of, I, I can kind of see what you're saying there. Yeah, yeah, this has been a tough time for Amy Adams. You know, I think she's still as talented as ever, but she's just picking projects like this. And uh, I haven't seen Hillbilly Elegy, but based on what I, I know of that movie, um, just, just projects that don't really suit yeah. her talents. And, you know, there was like, there was also Vice, I guess, which I just really didn't feel like she made much of an impression. I gotta say, I don't think I've really... I thought she was all right. Well, I, honestly, I think the last thing I saw her in that I thought I was really like, hooked with her performance was probably sharp objects the uh the hbo miniseries which okay yeah yeah i haven't seen that but i heard it's good movie wise yeah i mean we've gotten this and like you know her lois lane thing <laughs> and like the the two rounds of justice league we've gotten recently so yeah i i just think that i i'm hoping that amy adams is going to be part of some films that kind of harken back to i think her at her actual best as an actor i mean i thought she was pretty good in justice league the snyder cut um not the theatrical version like theatrical version everyone was bad in that but um yeah i mean i agree with you with hillbilly elegy a pretty rare bad performance from amy adams and it's like that was the type of performance where she clearly was trying so it was just kind of embarrassing to watch her this wasn't embarrassing to me it was just like it felt like she was just kind of confused like she didn't really know what to do either because of the reshoots or like the character was just so thinly drawn out that she just couldn't really do much with it that like she was like I mean it makes sense like why she joined the project but like probably through the whole thing she could see it was falling apart and she was just like I'm just going to try to do my best to salvage this thing and you know she couldn't which I don't blame her for but I do agree with you it is a shame especially for so many people who want Amy Adams to finally get that Oscar I know <laughs> not only to uh you know make a good film again but you know actually finally get the critical acclaim that she deserves and uh she's straddled by these lackluster projects that don't service her well 
Yeah, I think that really calls it. So I, I'm a C plus on this movie. I, I don't think it's terrible. I agree that I think, yeah, critics are really coming out for this one. And I think there's a lot to criticize, to be totally certain. But it is effective, you know, and as derivative as it is, it's at least executing the sort of stuff you would expect in ways that actually mimic a decent movie. So it's it's not like you're going to... I don't think this is a slog to get through necessarily. In fact, there were some parts that I thought were actually in the territory of like, this is so schlocky. I can actually kind of just get in, kind of get into this and it's on its own terms in a a way. So not a waste of a total, you know, this, this is such a Sunday matinee, a curiosity satisfier. If you're really bored, it's that kind of movie for me. Yeah. I think schlocky is probably the word I was searching for earlier, because like I said, like, it, it went into this like trying to be sort of prestige and subdued and because of all the reshoots and all this stuff it became this kind of schlocky b movie by accident i guess which i guess to me like i said it makes the movie worse but at the same time it also makes it a little bit more fun than i think it might have been otherwise but like i said i'd be curious to see what the original version of this movie was just out of curiosity because you know like clearly there's stuff in here that i think is good like i think the cinematography is good i think uh, Julianne Moore actually gives a pretty good performance here. And uh, even like her scene with um, Amy Adams where they're just like taking cat photos and drinking wine is kind of, you know, it's, it's fine the way it's supposed to be. And I kind of wish that movie, the movie had that energy throughout. It wasn't taking itself so seriously at other points. Like there's like, like you said, like, like, like there's times where it's like trying to mimic Rear Window and these other Hitchcock movies. And it's also trying to do like the De Palma thing. And it's also trying to be a little bit more cerebral, almost in like a, I'm thinking of ending things sort of way. And it's just like, I think the movie's at its best when it's just kind of like leaning into its absurdity and goofy impulses and just being this kind of throwaway schlock movie that, uh, you know, isn't good by design, but it's a little bit fun to watch on a Netflix Sunday afternoon. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'll give it a a sort of bemused B, uh, C plus, almost a B plus. Uh, <laughs> this thing is going places. Yeah. Like I said, it's not good i don't know how you could really justify its quality but considering what it's been through and everything that has going against it i'm kind of surprised it was actually pretty watchable and silly throughout like it 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 definitely ended up better than i anticipated but not really i guess in the way that it was intending to be better all right well that is a double c plus from us this movie like like we've mentioned a couple times critics ain't loving it 29% 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, the average rating is 4.9 out of 10. So it's one of those movies where I think people are rating it rotten, but they're not saying that it's like, oh my gosh, a 1 out of 10, 2 out of 10. They're just kind of like mixed to negative, which I think kind of, I, I think that makes a lot of sense to me. This movie, another movie that's only 100 minutes long, the same exact runtime as Those Who Wish Me Dead. So your, your choice between Angelina Jolie and Amy Adams has gotten even more difficult if uh, we were even having difficulty deciding between which of these two movies to do first we were like well let's let's look at the runtime exactly the same uh (laughs) all that but all right that is the woman in the window it is now available to stream on netflix Thank you so much for listening to our show. Be sure to subscribe to Cinemaholics on your favorite podcast app of choice or find us on YouTube. See you all next time.